0: Hey there, and welcome back to the Worldhopper's Guide to the Cosmere. I'm your host, Arian, and this week, we take a deep dive into the magic of Nalthus and Warbreaker, exploring the workings of Awakening, Breath, and the big boss sword known as Nightblood. Apologies for the kind of lower sound quality, hopefully that'll be fixed soon, but for now, just bear with me. Spoilers ahead for Warbreaker, and then later spoilers for the Stormlight Archive through Oathbringer, and, uh, let's destroy some evil. So, let's start with Awakening and Biochromatic Breath. Breath is the manifestation of Investiture and the center of magic on the planet Nalthus, which is home to the Shard Endowment. Every person on Nalthus is born with one breath, giving them an extra bit of Investiture, slightly more than the average human anywhere else in the Cosmere. Breath can be transferred to other people and collected with the phrase, My life to yours, my breath becomes yours. A person without breath is known as a drab. Weaker than the average human, more depressed, and with a weaker immune system. They have 97% of the investiture as a normal human in the Cosmere, versus, say, 103 for a person with breath. Vivena, one of the main characters in Warbreaker, spends several weeks as a drab in the second half of the book, and it feels to her like months, where she is just depressed and hungry and just broken up because being a drab is physically damaging to you. On the flip side, having more breath leads to all sorts of fancy powers. So, what happens when you do have these breaths? A buildup of breaths in a single person leads to what we call heightenings, a variety of passive powers that come from being so full of investiture. At the first heightening, and around the fifth breath... At the first heightening, around 50 breaths, you can see the strength of breath auras in other people. At the second heightening, around 200, you get perfect pitch. The third heightening is at around 600 and it gets you perfect color recognition, while the fourth heightening at around 1000 grants automatic life sense. We've seen this ability used in the Stormlight Archive by a certain Swordmaster. Notably, drabs aren't able to be detected, and this power is blocked by Mistborn Copper Clouds, which means there is some kind of connection between these various forms of detection. At the fifth heightening, you become immune to disease and aging, effectively immortal. Now this ability is also provided by the single divine breath given to the returned, which is basically a single breath so powerful it gets you up to the fifth heightening immediately. The rest of the heightenings come at an absurd number of breath, upwards of 3000, and you get powers like instinctive awakening, the ability to break commands, or the ability to awaken stone or steel, we'll talk about that more, but not a whole lot is known about these heightenings because they're just so rare. So, We've mentioned awakening, which is basically the the main method of using breath, so let's talk about that. Awakening is used to animate objects. It requires three components, color from the surrounding area to be used as fuel for awakening, biochromatic breath as the engine that sort of lets it happen, and a command phrase to give it purpose. These all flow into the object being awakened, and the closer it is to living material or a human shape, the better the Thing is, at being whatever you want it to be, and the fewer breaths you need to actually awaken it. The specific balance of color and breath is a little unclear. More vibrant colors as fuel allow for fewer breaths to be used, but more drab colors will require more breath. The color bleeds from objects, but generally not living things. One example is the dye that comes from the Tears of Edgley, a plant in the Halindrin jungles. Now, commands need to have an incredibly specific visualization—in Cosmere terms, intent—in order to work effectively. Basic commands don't need much, like telling a rope to untie or grab things, or telling a piece of cloth to kind of just walk. But more advanced ones, such as, become my legs and give me strength, for, say, taking a cloak and making it uh, wrap around your legs and become stronger, those require a lot of practice. Most awakened objects are either once-living materials or things that are given human shape. These uh, help with the awakening process. But there are other forms of biochromatic entities that go beyond that. Let's take a look. So, as I mentioned, uh, there are two main laws for dealing with awakening. So the first law is known as the law of biochromatic parallelism. The closer a host is to a living shape and form, the easier it is to awaken. This is sort of, as we mentioned, it's why cloth and things that are shaped like humans are easier to awaken than stone and steel. Biochromatic breath is the power of life, and so it seeks life. The second law is the law of comparability. The amount of breath required to awaken something isn't necessarily indicative of its power once awakened. For example, when you take something, take a piece of cloth, and cut it to make it look like a person, it requires fewer breaths than if you just took that square of cloth, but the power level of whatever you asked it to do, whatever your intent was, doesn't really change, which kind of implies that the number of breaths you have in something doesn't change what it does. The breath is just sort of an engine. It doesn't contribute specifically to power, although we'll see some kind of uh, relationship there to a degree when we talk about Nightblood, but anyway let's take a look at the four types of biochromatic entities and uh, talk about them a little. So the first type, type 1, are Spontaneous Sentient Biochromatic Manifestations in a Deceased Host, also known as Returned. The Returned are individuals who have died and been given the chance to come back, probably by the Shard Endowment herself. They are given a single divine breath, a splinter of endowment that is basically one giant breath that single-handedly gives them the fifth heightening, and immortality. However, in order to prevent their life force from consuming their lone breath and killing them, they must be given one regular breath per week. They're treated as gods in Hallandrin, and we've obviously seen several of them in the form of Lightsong and Blushweaver and, spoiler alert for Warbreaker, through Vasher and Death. Returned are, in actuality, Cognitive Shadows, which we've talked about in a previous episode of this podcast. They are copies of the person stapled into a new body. Just good to know because we have a returned as one of the main characters in Warbreaker and in the Stormlight archive in Vasher, aka Zahel. The Type 2. Type 2 biochromatic entities are mindless manifestations in a deceased host, otherwise known as lifeless. Cheap to make, these are reanimated corpses that act on command. They are controlled by command phrases and act as the main army of Halandrin. Before the Many War, when the scholar Shashara figured out a way to make them cheaper, they cost around 50 breaths. Shashara figured out a way to make them only cost one, which made them a lot easier to use. Still, when these creatures are made, the breath used to infuse them is irretrievable, because it sort of replaces their soul or something, and it cannot be brought back by the uh, person who awakened them. One special type of lifeless is the group known as Khaled's Phantoms, which are awakened bones put in stone. We haven't actually seen lifeless on screen that much uh, as sort of an army, but I imagine they would be pretty powerful. We may see them in the future Warbreaker books, but uh, who knows? Type 3 are biochromatic manifestations in an organic host far removed from being alive. Basically, awakened objects of things that were close to being alive. These are the types that we see most often awakened in Warbreaker. Rope and cloth often come to mind. They require somewhere on the order of a 100 breaths to awaken, which is relatively cheap in terms of awakeners, but when you think about each person having one, that means any given, which means the majority of people don't have anywhere near the power to awaken things. But we see them perform all sorts of functions throughout the book, uh, strengthening Vasher or letting him grab things. Uh, it's actually not a focus of the story so much, but they're neat to consider. And uh, notably, we also see one other person perform awakening of this type, not on the planet Nalthus. Hoyt, in the epilogue of Oathbringer, makes a clot-like little puppet thing that he awakens in order to coax out a little girl from the sort of ruins of a building in Culinar and the body of her dead mother, so he can bring her to someone else. This tells us that Hoyd is an awakener. He has some amount of breath now. Type 4 biochromatic entities are sentient objects made by awakening inorganic materials, typically metal or stone. These require the ninth heightening to create since they are so far removed from anything resembling life. The only known type 4 entity was created by Shashara, one of the five scholars, and is known as Nightblood. So, Let's talk a lot about Nightblood. Alright, so, the elephant in the room. The Black Blade, everyone's favorite companion to Zeth Sunsun Valano, the Skybreaker. As we know, Nightblood is an awakened blade that bleeds black smoke and sucks the investiture from the user. It can also kill people with a single touch. It also has a cheerful personality and the command to destroy evil, which, it's kind of unclear on, on what that means. As we mentioned, where did Nightblood come from? Nightblood was originally created by Shishara, one of the five scholars, with the assistance of Vasher. We believe they, at some point, world-hopped to Roshar and saw Shardblades, manifestations of Investiture as swords, and decided to try creating their own versions of that. Shishara discovered the way to awaken steel, originally thought impossible, and used a thousand breaths to infuse Nightblood with the command to destroy evil. The breaths used weren't fully sure how to interpret this. So, we'll talk about Nightblood's command more a little bit later. But Nightblood was created and brought sentience. Brandon describes him as a Frankenstein, because while Shardblades are natural investiture, Nightblood is essentially a bunch of souls smushed together. Nightblood was only wielded once, at the Battle of Twilight Falls during the Many War, hundreds of years prior to the events of Warbreaker. After seeing the destruction that the sword wrought, and realizing that Chishara wanted to share the secret of Steel Awakening with the world, Vasher, aka Khalid, Talaxan, Peacegiver, Warbreaker, whatever you want to call him, killed her with a sword in order to keep it a secret. At some point after that, an aluminum sheath was created to house Nightblood, since aluminum has anti-investiture properties. The second time the sword was drawn was, of course, at the end of Warbreaker, during the Pawn Call Rebellion, when Vasher uses it to basically slay a bunch of dense men. And the third time it was drawn we'll talk about a little bit later, but, uh, you know, it's the Battle of Thalen Field. So what does Nightblood do? As we said, it sucks investiture from anyone who wields it, and can kill with a touch, taking in the investiture of the creature it kills, too. When someone it deems to be evil sees or holds a sword, they feel drawn to wielding it. Those who are good feel sickness while touching it. To truly understand Nightblood though, we need to talk about the command used to awaken it, destroy evil. Obviously the command to destroy evil is powerful and noble, and Nightblood was Vasher and Shishara's first attempt at ever creating a Type 4 entity, so it wasn't perfect. In fact, that's one of the biggest jokes with Nightblood. It- doesn't really know what evil is, and tries to get its wielder to kill just about everything. In Cosmere terms, when the Bretts infuse the sword and receive the command, they try to interpret it as best as they could. What does it mean to be evil, though? As we've seen time and again with characters like Vasher and Kelsier and Dalinar, evil is a difficult term for even humans to understand. So, as Brandon says in his annotations to Warbreaker, I don't want Nightblood to come across as a one-ring knockoff. He doesn't turn people's hearts or corrupt them. However, in order to be able to do his job and fulfill his command, he needs the ability to determine who is good and who is evil. This of course isn't an easy way to determine things. In fact, in fact, I don't think it's a black or white issue for most people. When Nightblood was created, the breaths infused in him did their best to interpret their command. What they decided was evil was someone who would try to take the sword and use it for evil purposes, selling it, manipulating and extorting others, that sort of thing. Someone who wouldn't want the sword for those reasons was determined to be good. If they touch the sword, they feel sick. If others touch the weapon, their desire to kill and destroy with it is greatly enhanced. Nightblood himself, unfortunately, doesn't quite understand what good and evil are. however. He knows that his master can determine who is good and who is evil, using the sword's power to make people sick or through other means. So, he pretty much just lets whoever is holding him decide what is evil. And, if the one holding the sword determines, deep within their heart, that they are evil themselves, they will end up killing themselves with the sword. So this answer seems a little bit twofold. On the one hand, there does appear to be some kind of objective metric that the sword uses independent of Nightblood's consciousness to determine if someone is good or evil. Nightblood the voice, however, doesn't seem to really care, and only considers what the wielder thinks. I personally think the latter part of the explanation is more important than the former, because it leads to more interesting questions about what it means to be evil. Notably, Nail, the Herald of Justice, Never felt compelled to kill himself with Nightblood because he doesn't consider himself to be evil, despite what he starts to think near the end of Oathbringer about what he's done. Flawed, yes, and maybe broken, but not evil, and that seems to make all the difference. Also, despite all of his self-hatred, Zeth Sanson Velano is capable of wielding Nightblood even after realizing his truthless status was incorrect, which means he also doesn't view himself to be evil. Speaking of Zeth and Nail, let's talk about Nightblood's history through the books. After Vasher killed Shishara, he presumably kept Nightblood on him for hundreds of years until the events of Warbreaker, where his conflict with Denth comes to a head, and he eventually draws the weapon on the Night of the Collar Rebellion. From there, we're not entirely sure how or why, but both Vasher and Nightblood arrive on Roshar, hundreds of years later. We next pick up on Nightblood at the very end of Words of Radiance, when he is offered to Zeth Sunson Velano by the herald Nail, a replacement shardblade for the one he lost fighting Kaladin at the Battle of Narok. Meanwhile, Vasher is masquerading as Zahel the ardent swordsman in the Kolan war camp, and Vivenna, aka Captain Azor, only arrives on Roshar after that, just in time to take over the Kolanar wallguard. And... This isn't even the first mention of Nightblood on Roshar, chronologically speaking. In Dalinar's flashback, where he visits the Nightwatcher after his brother's death, roughly five and a half years before the present day, the Nightwatcher, a powerful spren of cultivation, offers him a sword that can destroy his enemies and that bleeds black smoke. So, does she have the sword? Can she obtain it? Lord, we don't, I mean, we don't know. We don't know what happened in that time. Maybe we'll find out. So, Sometime between the events of Warbreaker and the Stormlight Archive, Vasher and Vivenna have some sort of falling out, and Vasher takes Nightblood to Roshar, presumably because as he returned, he can sustain himself off of Stormlight rather than having to consume one breath a week. Somewhere along the way, he either loses or discards Nightblood, which may or may not have found its way to the Nightwatcher. Maybe when Vasher used Cultivation's perpendicularity to get onto Roshar? We don't know, but what we do know is that Nail, the Herald, somehow obtained it, although we don't know why that is. Perhaps something to do with cultivation, or perhaps he got it from the herald Eshar, who he seems to trust. There's no actual text to tell us, one way or another. Nail gives it to Zeth at the end of Words of Radiance, and Zeth uses the sword throughout his Skyraker training until he swears himself to Dalinar Kholin and wreaks havoc on Odium's forces at the Battle of Dalen Field, where he draws the sword and nearly dies from it consuming his investiture, only to be saved by Lift. Who gains a similar connection to the sword. From there, we see now that Zeth has become Dalinar's personal bodyguard, which means that both Vasher and Nightblood are technically colon property. We could be seeing a reunion next book. Add to that the fact that Vivenna now knows where Vasher is hiding. However, last we saw of her, she was trying to get to Cultivation's perpendicularity in the Horneater Peaks, presumably the one that she has used before. However, this time, she may have to deal with the effects of Moloch, the unmade who has apparently made his home there. Eventually, though, she will likely track Vasher down, and will understand for sure why Vasher is such an integral part of the plot. See, Warbreaker was actually a story written to give Vasher, or Zahel, a backstory and context in the Stormlight Archive, and presumably also to introduce Nightblood. Nightblood is, in essence, an artificial intelligence version of a Shardblade, a Shardblade 2.0, while Shardblades were actually modeled off the original Honor Blades. From there, we see that in Oathbringer, Vivena has created her own sword, probably with Vasher's help, during the time gap after Warbreaker, which is presumably an improved version of whatever Nightblood is, so it's a Honorblade 4.0? Anyway, Nightblood's imperfection is also why he's so freaking dangerous. See, Nightblood consumes investiture like there's no tomorrow when it kills things in all three realms. By the end of Oathbringer, the sword might actually be the most heavily invested thing in the universe, aside from actual shards. What that means is that other characters who know what he is, like Hoyt or Odium, are absolutely terrified of the blade. Nightblood can consume basically as much investiture as it wants and continue to grow, both from the beings it kills and from the wielder, and will presumably continue to become a black hole of pure magical energy. It doesn't seem as though the sword gets any stronger by consuming investiture, and it's not destroying it entirely. While well, in the process of consuming investiture, he can do some pretty freaky things, though, as per word of Brandon. So, what can we look forward to with this bad boy? Well, as of now, Nightblood is in the possession of Zeth Sunsun Volano, Truthless of Shinovar, Skybreaker of the Third Ideal, and Bodyguard of Dalinar Kholin, And, it's likely on a collision course with Vasher, and possibly Vivenna. The Warbreaker sequel, entitled Nightblood, is hopefully coming out sometime after Stormlight 5, and it will tell some of the story of what happened between Warbreaker and The Way of Kings, presumably with Vasher and Vivena facing off against Yestiel, one of the five scholars. However, the sword actually getting separated from Vasher is something that Brandon says happened between books, so he's going to have to find a way to get that information across, maybe in Stormlight, maybe never. Regardless. I'm personally hoping to see Nightblood drawn one more time, hopefully by someone who opposes the protagonist, because so far he's been used by the good guys twice, and I would love to see some of the mayhem from the perspective of these guys getting decimated. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World Hopper's Guide. Thanks to Kevin McLeod for the intro music and the 17th Shard for the information. Send an email to worldhoppersguide at gmail.com if you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, or leave a comment on the Reddit posts. Thanks for listening, thanks for bearing with me through the lower sound quality, and uh, see you next time!